Hi, Grant. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. That's good. I only met Grant about an hour ago, so we're going to get to know him together. Right. <laughs> so, first question. Where are you from and how did you become a Christian? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, I, I actually live just over in Glen Waverley. And for me, I would have to say that uh, my, my, my parents took me to church for most of my life. Uh, but for me, I was a... It's on. Yeah. What? What? One, two, two, two. Can you hear me or... Yep. Right. So, yeah, so, um, uh, so growing up, actually, I, I went to a church. Um, uh, but for me, I was a little bit always, if only then. Um, and to be honest, it just didn't really uh, do it for me. And I was interested in other things. And I was thinking, if only this would happen, then I'll be satisfied. If only that would happen, then I'd be satisfied. And that was, I moved through different areas of life related to that. But for me, it was my dad, actually. He just said a one-liner one day. He said, most people don't realise that Jesus came, that people would have life and have it to the full. And for me, I just thought, <laughs> I'd never thought about Jesus like that. And that actually started in a process for me, a couple of years of starting to look at um, the person of Jesus for myself. And um, yeah, um, and then I, I uh, became a Christian. I, 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 I'm sure I would have heard about the message of Jesus before that, but to be honest, it, it just didn't drop. And uh, so near the end of high school, I, I became a Christian. Yeah, yeah praise God. Yeah. That's fantastic. So we're talking about the will of God tonight. Mm-hmm. What do you do these days and how did you come to be doing it? So I work with a mission agency called Power to Change, which has just actually changed its name. It has in the past been Campus Crusade for Christ Australia or Student Life is the university <laughs> ministry. And for me, I studied psychology at, at, at uni and went through and um, did that. Then I did my uh, master's in counselling psychology. Then I worked for a couple of years as a psychologist. But for me, ever since um, uh, going over on a short-term mission trip for a, a year or so uh, to the Middle East, uh, that changed my life, actually, with student life or power to change at the time. And ever since then, I wanted to be involved in trying to help for the Great Commission in some way. So my wife and I, we jumped and started to work with uh, this organisation on... Uh, Australian university campuses primarily Um, and for me during that time actually I just saw a lot of Christian workers inside our organisation and outside um, just not doing too well, Uh, not doing well um, uh, emotionally or psychologically or spiritually actually, Um, all over the place, friends who are in ministry and so because of my background I actually then went and did some extra study uh, looking into those kinds of issues for Christian workers and since that time, I've relocated with my family down to Melbourne and we work in the headquarters of Power to Change in their member care team. Basically, I'm looking to apply my research amongst our organisation and other people. Yeah. It's a long question. It's a good answer. So how can we be praying for you and your family as you work for Power to Change? I was, just, I was, I was thinking about that question as, um, as I was reading it earlier. And I just wonder if you could pray for my kids, actually. So uh, my eldest two kids, I have three kids, they're aged 10, 12 and 15. And my eldest two are about to go on a, on a youth group camp. And, um, and I just wonder if you'd pray for them that God would reveal himself to them. Um, and so they've been growing up um, in a family and we talk about Jesus, we you know, read the Bible and stuff together. But, you know, there's times in your life if you feel like you've kind of had had your face towards God, but 
there's certain times where you take big steps forward, where God reveals himself or he draws you more. And I just ask you to pray for my kids, actually, that that would happen for them. Even this week, please, Lord. No worries. Do you mind if I quickly pray now before we get started? Thank you. Awesome. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for um, Grant coming to speak to us tonight. And thank you for what he's shared about his story and um, the way that you have constantly led him as he has sought out your will in his life. And I do pray for his two children who are about to um, go on this youth camp. I ask that as they um, encounter other kids who believe in you, other leaders, that you will be staring in their heart and giving them a real desire to follow you for themselves, mm. um, to take the things that they know and actually believe them and, and commit their lives to you in a new way. And I pray as well for us tonight, um, basically the same thing, that for those of us who already know you, that we will be encouraged and challenged to commit our lives fully to you, no matter what the cost of that is. And for those of us who don't know you yet, I pray that you will be staring in our hearts and pointing us to you and showing us that you are real and that you love us and that you have good plans for our lives. So I just pray for Grant now as he speaks to us. I pray that you'll give him wisdom and I pray that you'll give us open hearts to hear what you have to say to us through him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, great. Um, oh, okay. Thanks very much. Cheers. Well, um, oh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Shabu, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for coming along tonight. And, and you probably got a little handout as you came in. Um, and that, we can kind of maybe follow that through, uh, through tonight. Well, uh, so the topic of tonight is really what I want to look at is some principles about how we can kind of make decisions in a way that seeks God's kingdom first. Now, just to kind of blow, pop any bubbles, I'm not up here to give you the one, two, three step formula of how you can achieve that totally greatest, most fulfilling, gratifying experience of life. Unfortunately, I don't have those three step principles for you tonight. But you might look at the handout and say, well, there's six there. Well, I just want to make a little bit of a, a statement first up. Um, those six principles aren't like follow the, follow, the pra- follow the steps and you'll end up with the result. Sometimes I think in talking about decision makings or trying to discern God's will, sometimes I feel like we can almost think about God like he is not a person, but rather like a distant machine or a slot machine or a vending machine or something. That if I just come to him and kind of follow the right steps, you know, press the right buttons in the right order, pull the handle, he will give me the result that I'm looking for. I don't want to imply by having six principles that this is that kind of a talk. No, actually, God's a person. He's a loving Heavenly Father. The Lord Jesus is risen and he's alive. He's a person that you can interact with and he's given us his Holy Spirit that we can actually know him in a personal way. He's a person. So these six principles that we're looking at tonight, please don't think of them like if I do this, this and this, pull the handle, I'll get the result. It's not like that. Rather, these are almost like six principles of relating with God, actually. It's almost like relationship principles, and if you've, you know, people who have been in a, a relationship or a marriage relationship or something like that, you know that there's principles, but they don't always give you the same result that you might expect. These are six relationship principles we're going to look at. And really, um, better thought of as that, 
relationship principles for living with and making decisions in life as we follow Jesus, in relationship with him. That's kind of uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight. Well, I appreciate you praying for us, so we might just kick on in with step one of, the, uh, of our topic tonight. And really for me, when thinking about this topic, I have to say that the, the front end of Romans 12 is the place I go to straight, straight away. Because that is the text, actually, in the New Testament that uses the kinds of words that's in the title of us tonight. Paul has written already in the first 11 chapters about all that God has done to reconcile us to himself through Jesus. How he's actually given us his spirit to actually lead us through. And actually he's been choosing and electing us in all the great things that God has done for us. Chapter 12 starts with a big therefore. Therefore, he writes, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God's done, what I want you to do is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual or your reasonable act of worship. Paul goes on and writes, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here it is, everyone. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. There it says it. That's really interesting. So I'm interested in this particular text because it has those words in there. But in those verses, Paul actually calls us to do two things and avoid one thing before we get to that golden line and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Firstly, what's the first two things that he calls us to focus on? Firstly, he asks us to offer our bodies or to be a living sacrifice and also to have our minds be renewed. That is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They're the two things he says to do. And the one thing he says not to do is to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Before we're able to get to that line of then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Well, let's have a bit of a think about those things. Firstly, a living sacrifice. When you hear those two words put together, living sacrifice, what kind of images come to your mind? Feel free to yell out. What images or thoughts come to your mind? A marathon rubber. A marathon rubber. Living sacrifice. A marathon rubber. Yep. yep. Other thoughts? A bit of free association. <laughs> Living sacrifice, those two words. Slave. A slave, yeah, yeah. I've actually been reading the, the beginning couple of chapters of, of Leviticus. <laughs> A bit of light entertainment. <laughs> but really it has chapter after chapter of actually types of sacrifices. Actually, when I, I think, think about it at the moment, I think about a bit of meat <laughs> that's been killed and that's laid up there on the altar. A sacrifice. It doesn't have life. It's totally given over. But actually, this is a living sacrifice. It's kind of the idea of something that's given over, but it's still kind of alive. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, actually, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, and he actually, I think, describes this. It gives a good definition of living sacrifice where he says, and he died that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. 
Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. For me, that's actually the idea of a living sacrifice. It's me that I'm no longer living for myself, but I'm living actually for someone else's interests, someone else's desires. I'm a living sacrifice. I've been given over totally. I'm given over totally, but I'm living for someone else or something else. A living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing to God. Holy, that word holy. Um, it's a word which means kind of set apart or it's different. It's, it's different from the rest. It's set apart from the rest. And in the Old Testament, the priests would actually walk around and they'd have this, this kind of uh, sign hanging on their heads that would say, holy unto the Lord or holiness unto the Lord. Could you imagine that? Imagine walking around with a sign on your head which says, I'm set apart for Yahweh, for the God of Israel. Because the rest of the community, actually, they were actually doing the other stuff, but these people, they were set apart from the community for God's work. And the idea is here the same of us. Holy, I'm separated for God's work only. Like I'm walking around, I'm separated out to live for God. Serve him. That's exactly the idea here. And then verse 2, Paul writes, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. So firstly, be a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Literally, it says, don't be squeezed into its mould. Using the word like a, like a, a mould that you'd pour uh, metal into and then squash it down and out comes the image of the coin on it, stamped on it, for, on, on the metal thing. Don't get squashed into the world's mould. Don't be pressured and conformed into the pattern of the world. None of us actually are isolated from influences of the world around us. We're constantly bombarded by messages. Messages from media, messages from advertising, messages from society in general, just the, the narrative of how you're meant to live your life in Australia, what happiness is, you know, do this, do that, get this, da 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 we have a message that we're kind of pushed of what kind of it's about. But they might not be in line with God's heart or God's truth. I'm wondering, what are your influences? What's the things or the people that influence you? Maybe friends? Maybe family pressures? Sometimes even my Christian communities can actually themselves give me mixed messages that can ex ex exert force to conform me onto sometimes other than, other than what God might have. But against that ever-present pressure to conform, Paul speaks here of a transformation, and the key to that is the renewal of the mind. That is kind of feeding our minds not on the conditioning messages of the world, but probably actually primarily on God's word and his pure influence that gives us God's worldview, the way God sees things. There's a great psalm, psalm, I love the beginning of Psalm 1, which talks about, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of mockers or stand in the way of sinners. That is, blessed is the person who's not being influenced or conformed in the, from those influences. But this person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by tree, you know, streams of water. Whatever he does, prophets. It's a beautiful picture. The idea there 
is not being conformed, but actually being transformed as we dwell on, as we meditate on, as we put God's word into practice. And those three things, I would say, are very important for transforming your mind. It's not just hearing it. It's not just thinking about it. It's actually, as you enact something, it actually changes the way you process stuff in your mind. That's a process, that mind transformation. As you sit under the influence of God's word particularly, that your mind actually changes, your worldview actually changes. So that I'm not just being conformed or pressured by what's going on around me, but I'm actually starting to see the world more and more from God's perspective, from his worldview. That happens, actually, as you get into that. God's revealed himself in in his word. Renewing your mind is about dwelling on it, meditating it, discussing it, learning it, learning from others from it, and putting it into practice. That's a way in which your thinking grows more and more like the way God thinks and views the world. And you know what? As you come to see the world around, see relationships, see what you're doing at work or at study or whatever, as you see the world more and more from his perspective, you know what? You're better able to think about, what do I think God wants me to do here? That's the place to start. Step one. Be a living sacrifice. Have I made that decision in view of all that you've done for me, O Lord? I'm choosing to live for you. That's actually the way for the greatest adventure of life. I'm not going to be conformed to the pressures around me, but I want to be transformed by your perspective. That is step one. And to be brutally honest, if you have to pick one point out of the whole of the six, this is the one. To be honest, if you're hammering, if you're nailing number one, you're probably okay. (laughs) But if you don't settle number one, it's no point moving on, to actually, to be honest. Why would God reveal to me what he wants me to do when I've already decided, maybe I'll find out and then I'll decide whether I want to do it or not? That's probably not the way it works. So point one is really important. First step, be honest. Am I willing to be a living sacrifice to you, Lord, today? I want to serve your interests first. Not be conformed, but be renewing my mind rather than just what I want to do. That's step one. Things speed up from here. You'll be happy to know. That's step one. But step two, really, for me, well, there's one question for a person who wants to be a living sacrifice. And that is... How is it that can I make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God? I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to seek your interest first. So which option in the decisions that I have before me, using my renewed mind, do I believe is going to seek Christ's interest first? How can the Lord Jesus, through my life, accomplish the most for his kingdom? How can I make the maximum splash from my pebble of a life? Um, uh, the person who used to be in charge of our organisation used to carry around with him a little rock. I meant to bring a rock. I meant to carry carry around with a little rock. And on it, it would say, impact on one side and wear on the other side. And he used to say that all of us have a life that's kind of like a rock. 
Now, rocks have similarities with other, thing, other rocks, but they're somewhat unique as well, the way it's cut or broken or scratched or whatever. Anyway, your life is like a rock, he would say, and each of us have one rock to drop, one life to live. Now, if you take a rock and you put it over some sand, you can drop that rock and it'll make a little, little thud and a little imprint, a little indent in the sand. That's the impact of that dropped rock. But you could take the exact same rock, but drop it in the middle of a pond. And that rock would make a splash that would then cause ripples to ripple out to the very end of the pond. Same rock, even if you like dropped in the same way, but a different place will make a very different impact. I want to be a living sacrifice. Lord, in this option before me, how can you take my life and make the greatest impact for your kingdom? I'm seeking your interest first. Well, if that's the question, how do you go about answering it? And that's where actually step three comes in. And I think the place for step three to start off is to think about how God's made you. What I love about uh, Romans 12.1 is it doesn't prescribe what we should do. No, it takes into account that God's made you, you. You've been made you for a reason. And you're probably just the kind of person that God's looking for to fit a specific spot that fits you. Maybe it's, the, um, it's helping out with the slides and the, audio, and the audiovisual stuff. The way I respond as a living sacrifice is going to be different the way you respond as a living sacrifice because God's made us different people. That doesn't mean that one of us necessarily doing the wrong thing, but we're different people. Therefore, how you can make the most impact might be in a very different way to me. You're the only one God's made with your background, your experiences, access to the particular relationship network you're in, your personality mix. Therefore, there's many things in life that maybe you are probably uniquely qualified to do. Well, here's some things that I think we need to be familiar with or that I think can help me be familiar with uh, so that you can best answer the question of point two. So getting to know yourself. And it came out of, um, what's that church in the States? Saddleback. Saddleback? Rick Warren's church. And he had this acrostic shape. He used to talk about getting to know your shape. And I think that's really, really helpful to think about. Getting to know yourself so that you can actually make a informed decision a best decision as lord how can you best use me so shape so starts with your spiritual gifts you know experiences that you might have had in ministry to date that might be indicative of maybe particular areas of fruitfulness or maybe impact that others have identified from you the way you do this wow that had a really big impact on me maybe if you've had any instances like that where people have given you positive feedback that might that might be helpful to kind of tuck away. Maybe that might indicate something of your spiritual gifts. Maybe your heart's desire, just passions I have. What am I passionate about? What's the things I just really enjoy? You know, they can be really significant tell points as to how God's made you and maybe what he might have been created you to do. Abilities or training or talents, just the things that you've been trained to do, things that you're naturally able to do. Personality preferences, how God's kind of put you together, how you've made you as a person. What are your preferences for working with other people, how you think, how you relate? 
And then experiences. I think experiences are greatly significant. You know, God's been at work at your life, in your life for a long time probably. And looking back, and maybe sometimes experiences, maybe sometimes good nor bad, they might actually have an impact going forward as well. Particular lessons he might have drilled into you, experiences that you might have had. And then I've added in one little one there, opportunities or needs. For me, I think that's helpful too to think about. What are some opportunities that might be related to your position? Now, for me, one of those in and of themselves isn't enough for me to make a definitive decision, but we're just trying to build up a bit of a picture as to how God has made you. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. And the word there means, means like comes from, uh, it's the word that we get the word from poetry. We're like God's poem or his craftsmanship, his work of art. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. That's an amazing verse. So having a bit of a sense of how God's made you, the work of art that you are, I think can actually be really helpful when you're trying to make that decision of how can I make that greatest impact. I think it's also helpful to kind of get some input from others about myself as well. Because sometimes I have some blind spots when I'm trying to figure out that, those kinds of elements myself. So maybe inviting people, in, maybe in a small group you're a part of, or maybe a leader you know, or maybe just other friends, getting some feedback from them I think can be helpful too. That's my little shape-o shape. <laughs> um, but let's move on. So pros and cons. So I'd say, so now that I've got a bit of a picture of kind of how I'm wired, how God's made me, I think the next step I think can be helpful just to take a, a sheet of paper and list out some of the various options. And then in light of Christ's kingdom first, Christ's interest first, I want to list the pros and cons of each of the options. Now, importantly, I think that's about, about Christ's interest, not just my own. What are the pros and cons of each of the, um, each of the uh, different opportunities there. That's why we're seeking to use our renewed mind, if you like, to consider those options. Um, and so with the desire um, to put his will and kingdom above all else, I lift those pros and cons, and then I actually want to make a call. So actually this is one about me, um, trying to make a decision of whether to move down to Melbourne, to move off campus, working with student life at the time or power to change and move down. So that was my own kind of thing. So once I've written those pros and cons, I think it's important then to then make a call and respond by faith. Because here's the thing. For me, I often get to the listing the pros and cons bit and then I go into this big, long kind of decision-making process. And I kind of get a bit of stage fright there. And I get paralysed. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? Should I do that? And actually... I kind of don't do anything. <laughs> I would encourage you actually to actually respond by taking a step of faith. When I look at the pros and cons, seeing which one I think that makes the greatest impact, and then I might start to walk in that direction. There's a whole lot of old kind of analogies about that. You know, like you can't turn a parked car. <laughs> a car's got to be moving in order to turn it. Or like a rudder on a becalmed ship is absolutely useless. So God is best able to direct me and turn me and prod me as I have a responsive heart of faith, of responsive faith, as I respond in faith. 
And as I respond in faith, then point six, I continue to communicate with God and listen for what he might have to say. See, here's the thing. I actually don't think it's about getting it right at step four or how clever I am at discerning what I'm like at point three. No, actually, I think it's step one and steps five and six. I respond in faith and continue to try to listen to how God may be speaking to me. I think that's actually what's pleasing um, to the Father heart of God who loves us. It's not, did you get that decision right? Oh, Grant, what have you done? How could you decide to go to Mount? Well, that's it. All right, moving on. We'll have to pick someone else now. God's not like that. He loves us. If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? God wants to lead and direct. He wants a fellowship with you. And so he will speak to us as we respond in faith. Well, how does God speak to us? Oh, sorry. Before I go there, um, often I think that um, sometimes I think, again, approaching this question, sometimes I think I have the image in my mind that God is, in discerning his will, will one day come to me. It's like my life is like a car, and I drive my car. That's my life direction. And one day, I'm sure God will come to me and knock on my window, and I'll roll it down, and the Lord Jesus will give me a map and say, Grant, I want you to go to Cairns. Here's the map. And I want you to take this road and stop off overnight here and go to that McDonald's and watch out for the pothole. You know, when you just pass Newcastle in the, in the second lane... I kind of think he's going to give, lay it all out before me. That's going to be me discerning God's will. I don't think it's really like that, to be honest. I think it's much more relational. God's looking for a relationship with you. And what it's much more like, I think, is actually he comes into my car. He doesn't give me a map and send me off. He wants to sit in the seat right next to me. And in that context, he might say... Let's go north. What? Uh, where? And you know what? He might not say. He might be silent. Should I go the Hume Highway? Should I go the M you know, the Princess Highway? And it might be, it doesn't matter, Grant. Go north. And as I take the Hume Highway and drive along, there might be times along that journey where he will step in. And he might say, actually, you know what? When you get up to the south of Sydney, you really need to take the M7 all the way around the city. Don't even go in there. It might be very specific for a time. And then I just will keep on doing that. <laughs> and then it might be free and easy for a while, but then it might be something else. You know, to be honest, I don't know whether I'm going to end up in Brisbane, Cairns, Darwin or Broome. And you know what? Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe what's much more important is every day I'm relating with the Lord Jesus in the car, saying, where do you want me to go today, Lord? Am I on track? <laughs> Would you lead and direct me? That's probably a lot more like it. And you know what? What if I make a wrong turn? Do you think that then blows the whole journey? No, it's a big map. <laughs> He's willing to step in. So how does God speak? Well, for me, he speaks in, in many ways. But I think prayer 
and the Bible is ways that God speaks. For me, actually, that's a really important way. My daily times with the Lord Jesus is really important. And sometimes there'll be themes over time in that. I've written up there through the body of Christ or the church, and I think that's really important. Discerning God's will is not an individualistic idea, but in our Western society, we tend to think that. You know, I'll go up on the mountain, have a retreat, and I'll come down knowing what God wants me to do. No, actually, Ephesians 4 speaks about how the body of Christ works together. And we, it actually says, build each other up into maturity. That's so interesting. And so I think part of discerning God's will is actually inviting the body of Christ around us to help us discern that. So think about the gifts of the church. What are those who teach the Bible? What is the teaching as I sit under God's word, under those gifted teachers, week in, week out? What does that say in terms of the decision I'm making? What about those who have the gift of wisdom, who know me, who love me and know God's word? When I speak to them, what do they say? What about those who have the gift of leadership, the leaders around you that God's put in your life? God wants to speak through them. God speaks through the body of Christ. So prayer, God's word, the body of Christ. And then circumstances. Sometimes that helps, I would say. But not always. Like it says up there in the, uh, in the back end of 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks as he writes about a door that God had opened for him in Ephesus of very effective ministry. And so he says, I'm going, to stay, I'm going to hang out here for a while and keep on doing ministry. So there in Ephesus for Paul at that time, there was an open door and he took that as God's leading him to stay there. But if you turn the page in your Bible, you hit 2 Corinthians and there actually in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul writes again and he actually talks about how there's a really effective door of ministry that was open to him. But because Titus wasn't there, I moved on. That's really interesting. In the Bible, open and closed doors are sometimes um, opportunities more than litmus tests. Of, is, this God, is this what God wants me to do or not? So I'd say for me, again, like the kind of the shape-o thing, um, I'm looking for, I get confidence where I see a bit of an overlap of a number of those things coming together. You know what I mean? Like when you're reading stuff in your own kind of personal times with God, that stands out to you and you go along to a, the night service here and they're speaking about the same issue and then someone comes up to me and says something. That kind of gives me confidence actually. And as I push on doors, as I respond in faith to see what the Lord will do. So for me, there's six principles. But it's very relational. And it's usually not the big long map journey. The psalmist writes, your word, O Lord, is a lamp, un- a lamp to my feet and a light unto the path. But I tell you what, that's just enough to see the next step. I want the floodlight to go the whole thing. I want to see everything. Not really. That seems to be the way God works in Scripture, to be brutally honest. But sometimes he does give us big pictures, big visions. But sometimes not. Sometimes he might give us a picture for a while. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it feels very free. That's okay. Go north. (laughs) But God does speak. He loves us. He's looking for that heart of responsive faith. God is far more interested in a love relationship with you than than he is in just what you can do for him. But I don't want to downplay that. God calls us into his family to follow Jesus 
in what he's doing in his world. I don't want to downplay that at all. But his desire really first is for you to love him. And as he fills you with his presence, as you respond to him each day, as you, re- as you renew your mind, he does lead and guide us through spectacular means, through mundane means, through quick means, through slow means. That's not a problem. As long as he's in the car and we're fellowshipping freely together each day. You know what? You can't go wrong, I would say. Unless you say, get in the back seat. I want to do my own thing. Thanks very much. That's where things can go astray. So I found that those six principles is a bit of a combination of trying to use some practic- have some practical means um, to give me some things to do to work through that, um, as well as to, in, um, to guide me as I relate um, uh, yeah, to the Lord Jesus each day. And I found they helped me not only make big decisions, but little decisions. Um, but more than that, they also helped me to relate and walk in obedience uh, to Jesus. Well, can I pray? And then I might invite you back up, Beth, and lead us on the next session. This section, yeah. Yeah. Thank you um, that you have revealed yourself, Creator God, uh, as mysterious and kind of somewhat enigmatic as you are. You have revealed yourself, and we can actually get to know what you're like supremely in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've revealed yourself in Him. And we want to ask that by your Holy Spirit, that you would actually draw us closer into knowing you personally and actually hearing you um, lead and direct and guide us. Lord, we want, um, we want actually to do that. And I know, Lord, that that actually is the, is the best place uh, for me to love my wife, to honour my kids, um, to, to live uh, the way that is going to um, impact eternity uh, because it allows you free access to do what you want to do in and through me. So, Lord, I pray for that for my friends here as well tonight. Amen. We're about to move into um, an opportunity where you can ask Grant any question you have about the will of God. So, get excited. Before we do that, though, might take a couple of minutes break. So stand up, stretch your legs, make sure you're, like, really awake and alert so you can listen to everything, and then we'll come back and ask a few questions. Friends, whoa, that was loud. Okay, um, if we could just head back to your seats, if you're not already there. We'll jump into your questions. Um, Now, what would be really helpful is, um, for the recording, um, and for Grant as well to hear, before you ask your question, put your hand up. I'll run to you or walk very fast, depending on how I feel and who's putting their hand up. And um, I'll give you an opportunity to ask a question, and then Grant will answer and so on. So who wants to go first? Wait, we've got one back there. Uh, Grant, you, when you started your um, message tonight, you were talking about your work with full-time uh, Christian workers 
and the sorts of burnout that they would typically have and the things that they were doing that would burn them out. Can you give us a bit of an idea of what the major things are that you've seen causing burnout? Oh, how long do you have? <laughs> um, so uh, particularly I've been looking at the organisational dynamics, the, the psychological factors and the spiritual factors that relate to both what drives a sense of ill health or stress or burnout and also what drives a positive sense of motivation. And so there's probably elements in each of those three categories that interact together. So there's different work dynamics that lead to burnout very predictably. There's some personality factors and personal practices. And then for Christian workers particularly, one's spiritual life has a particular impact on that as well. So there's, a, probably, a, there's probably discussions in each of those areas. So, but I'd say all three of them are important uh, for Christian workers. I can, I can send you a 10-page synopsis about that. <laughs> I've, I've read the 10-page synopsis. It's brilliant and it's worth, worth, worth taking your time on. I mean, when we're talking about the will of God, lots of people talk about a, a closed door. But sometimes, like when our journey, we've kind of come across opposition where it's not actually a closed door, but it feels like it is because you're feeling a bit of opposition from either family or for some other reason. Um, how would you describe or differentiate between a closed door and opposition? Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. great, great, great question. How would I, def how would I, how would I tease them apart? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <coughs> Because, you know, like the whole... Uh, but, but I would say that lattice approach is what I look for. And so, so the, the phrase for some people, they talk about a sense of conviction about what God wants me to do. Now, where does that conviction come from? Um, um, and so I would say that it's, it's those kinds of things. Um, if, if I have... Uh, yeah, so I'm looking for a lattice, I suppose what I'd say. If... But there is a bottom line litmus test if, if I'm walking in a direction and the opportunity just never presents itself, well, that's kind of about it. So actually, there's been a whole lot of psychological research in secular areas around the issue of quote-unquote calling. It's incredibly fascinating for me. Um, and in, in the psychological literature, um, this is in totally secular um, industries, secular international journals. That's so interesting. One of the... One of the um, meta-analysis reviews actually talked about four re repeatable correlates related to a calling. So people who tend to report a sense of call, they would tend to say four different things. It's so interesting. And these are the four things they would say. They'd say, one, is that people who have a conviction or a sense of, I think this is what God wants me to do, number one, those people tend to be asking the question. Am I even asking the question? Or am I just head down doing my own thing? That's interesting. They're asking the question. Secondly, they're, they're attending to the ways in which they think they can hear a response. So that's where I would say step six. Thirdly, they have a growing sense of how, um, of their own sense of self. So their sense of self, their real self, is there's a good overlap with their idealized or their perceived self. So that's probably step one, two, Three, the idea of how I'm white. So they're the big three. And then the fourth one is, is that they're trying things and seeing what happens. And so this is a secular kind of psychological journal 
reporting this stuff. But of course, that's not, uh, hear me clearly, it's not a four-step process to get the answer. But I would probably say those things still. So I'd say, if, if I have a, how strong is that conviction? Do I keep on walking that direction and see what happens? For me, a really instructive passage is in Acts 6, uh, Acts 16, where Paul steps out in his second missionary journey. And he steps out um, to do two things, to revisit the people from the first missionary journey and also, after he's done that, to deliver some of the judgments of, of the council, Jerusalem. But after he does that, he then wants to go, keep on going on and do more ministry. And he wants to go, where is it? He wants to go west into Asia Minor area of what is modern-day Turkey. But it says the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him do that. What? strategically, that's the place to go. Ephesus is like the key place. But at that point in time, he wasn't allowed somehow. So he goes kind of north, up towards kind of Galatia and Bithynia. Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let me in there either. So they kind of wiggle their way all the way down to Troas. And there at Troas, in the middle of the night, he has a vision, it says, of a man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Totally vague. Can you imagine? Like, what? You thought about that? Why is it a vision at night time? It's not of the Lord Jesus. Jesus does do that in other places. It's not of an angel. An angel does appear in other places. And it's not even clear. Come over and help us. What do you mean? There's no one even over there. Well, help us do what? It's so kind of vague. But he gets up and then the group meet together. And it says, Luke writes, we concluded that God had called us to go to Macedonia. So I think that's interesting. So there's a bit of open door, closed door stuff. Then he gets over there, and then he gets jailed one, two, three times in a row. And <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so, so that's a long answer to, I don't know. <laughs> but I'd, I'd walk on and see. Keep on listening. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Anyone else? Not, not quite sure how to phrase this, but do you come across people or do you find the problem in criticism or the churches that, that sometimes we as individuals get focused about our plan for our life instead of starting to focus about what's God's plan for and for his 100%. Vision? 100%. And that's why I think the starting point is about being a living sacrifice. And, and the renewal of the mind in, in that Romans 12 verse 2 there, um, the renewal of the mind really uh, is about seeing the world from God's worldview. And as I tend to do that, that's a really interesting question. What is on, what's on God's mind tonight? What do, you think, what do you think our loving Heavenly Father is focused on in his world tonight? What's he, what's he interested in? What's occupying his emotions? That's an interesting question to ask. How do you know the answer to that? Well, I think God's revealed his big picture in his word. And so that's the place to start. When I look out, what is God's interest in his world? And how do I get involved with what he is doing, where he is at work? Now, that's a different, that's a different kind of question than, than it's all about me. It does involve me, but it's, Lord, how do I get involved with what you're doing? Where are you at work around, and how do I join with you in what you're doing? God is at work around us. Um, I need to have the eyes to see it, 
and I need the responsiveness to step into that as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great, great question. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just a couple more, if there is any. I'm just going to keep walking towards Grant until someone someone screams. Yeah, good. Thanks, cool. mate. Hey, can we give a round of applause to Grant again? Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I think the music team is going to come up. Yeah, as the music team comes up, I'm going to pray for Grant and um, Catherine uh, and for their kids and for their family. Um, so would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for Grant. Uh, God, it's a joy and pleasure again to see him and see uh, his willingness to come and serve you tonight. God, I pray as both Grant and Catherine and the family continue to seek your will for their lives in the different seasons, you will continue to go before them. I pray particularly in his role at Power to Change, Lord, and that you would continue to equip them both to minister to uh, the staff workers and ministry leaders, as they form them and shape them for your kingdom purposes. Pray for their kids as Grant shared even tonight that more than anything else that they will know you and love you and follow you all the days of their lives. God, we pray for your protection on their marriage as we have an enemy who will desire to attack and dishearten them. Pray for Grant's role as well and with his psychology background in counselling and ministering to those, particularly ministry leaders around our state and other places. You give him great wisdom and strength and courage, discernment. And also, Lord, I pray that you'll refresh him and give him spiritual rest uh, as he continues to um, impact other people's lives. We thank you for lending us to, to us tonight um, and using him uh, tonight. And we pray that you bless him for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, mate.